well. That's the kind of man that Boaz is. And so we continue on. It says, then she fell on her face, bowing to the ground and said to him, why have I found favor in your eyes that you should take notice of me since I am a foreigner? But Boaz answered her, all that you have done for your mother-in-law since the death of your husband has been fully told to me. And how you left your father and mother in your native land and came to a people that you did not know before. The Lord repay you for what you have done and a full reward be given you by the Lord, the God of Israel, under whose wings you have come to take refuge. This is the beautiful story that's happening here. See, Boaz doesn't just take an interest in Ruth because she's beautiful. Now, we can maybe assume that she is an attractive individual because later on we're going to be told that Boaz is thankful that she's taken notice of him instead of the young men that she could have pursued because apparently she could have pursued them. But the thing that he finds remarkable about Ruth is not her physical attractiveness, her beauty on the outside, but this character that drives her to be committed to her mother-in-law, to give up all that she had to ensure that her mother-in-law was cared for, to adopt a completely new land, a new way of life, a new way of being. I think Boaz senses a kindred spirit here. Someone who shares in a desire to do right by others. See, this is, this is the hitch in this relationship here. This is the thing that everything swings on. The thing that it all pivots on is this kindred spirit between the two of them. The desire to do what is right by others. And when Boaz senses that in Ruth, when he hears the story about what she's done, why she is where she is, what it is that she's about... He can't help but take an interest in her. And his hope for her is a reward and refuge. I find it interesting, you know, last week we talked about the names of Naomi and her sons and her husband. This week I just want to bring up really quickly the names of Ruth and Boaz. Ruth means friend or companion, and Boaz means by strength or through strength or in strength. See, the interesting thing about these two names is that it really well defines, first of all, who Ruth is to Naomi, but by the end of the story, who Ruth will be to Boaz, a companion, a friend, the sort of person that shares not just on the external a friendliness, but like a deep companionship a compatibility with one another that's built on far more than just the surface-level details. Boaz is a man of strength, but it's not his own strength that he relies on. Boaz relies on the strength of God, a strength that comes from God's righteousness and Boaz's pursuit of God's righteousness. And so Naomi uh, hears that Ruth has gone and, and gleaned in these fields. And there's uh, a little bit here at the end of chapter 2 where we find out that uh, she's, she's been receiving far more than she's expected to receive. In fact, uh, Boaz tells his, his men who work the fields, let her glean, 
but not just from the outskirts of the field. Let her glean from the sheaves, you know, the big collection that we, we bring in. Let her take grain off of what we've already harvested. Protect her. Keep an eye on her. Watch over her. Don't prevent her from taking whatever it is that she wants or needs. Again, Boaz's provision goes above and beyond the expectation. And when Naomi hears about this, we, we move into this, this plan that comes to fruition. She tells Ruth, Naomi said to her daughter-in-law, may he be blessed by the Lord whose kindness has not forsaken the living or the dead. Naomi also said to her, the man is a close relative of ours, one of our redeemers. And Ruth the Moabite said, besides, he said to me, you shall keep close to my young men until they have finished all my harvest. So we read about this idea of a, a, a redeemer. And it's something that for us has a very clear image in our heads. When we think of our Redeemer, we think of Jesus, and we think of the work that he does in our lives to make right the things which not someone else has made wrong, but we've made wrong. Jesus is our Redeemer. He's the one that comes alongside us and sees us in our need and provides for us the things which we could not provide for ourselves. And Boaz is literally doing that for Ruth in this scenario. But it's not just that that we find in the Old Testament as far as how we understand the idea of a redeemer. Deuteronomy chapter 25 verse 5 through 6 outlines the role of a redeemer. And there's more in the book of Leviticus as well that tells us some of the expectations of a redeemer. But Deuteronomy says this, if brothers dwell together and one of them dies and has no son, the wife of the dead man shall not be married outside the family to a stranger. Her husband's brother shall go into her and take her as his wife and perform the duty of a husband's brother to her. And the first son whom she bears shall succeed to the name of his dead brother, that his name may not be blotted out of Israel. Now to us, this is a very foreign concept. I have a brother. Uh, if I were to die without children, I don't know that my wife would want to marry my brother. He's a fine guy. Uh, I think my brother's wife would have something to say about that as well. But we have to understand, in ancient Israel, the passing on of your legacy to your generation after you was essential. The reason we run into all these genealogies in the Old Testament is not because they had a fascination with names and they wanted like the baby book from the Bible. Uh, they wanted to know where they came from. They wanted to know who they were connected to. It was significant to have your generations passed on. It was significant to know how you traced your line back to Abraham. And if you died, you had no branches on your tree. We, we get a little bit of that. Like we like the idea of a family tree and knowing where we came from and who comes after us. But for the Israelite people, this was a far more significant thing. It was deeply ingrained in them that if you died without offspring, there was, there was a loss of inheritance. Your family was less than it had been before. And so God provided provision, literal provision, for his people in the instance in which a brother would die without children. But it was not just provision for that brother who had died. It was also provision for the wife who had been left behind. You see, if you were a woman in ancient Israel or anywhere outside of ancient Israel, 
you had very little opportunity to provide for yourself. You were dependent on the men within your society to care for you. If you die, if your husband died and he had no brothers, you went back to your family and they supported you. Unless you had sons who were old enough to care for you in your old age. And if you didn't have sons and your family had died and your husband had died, well, you can kind of draw some conclusions there, right? You became awfully thankful for the gleaning from the fields. Boaz knows this law. It's not just something he knows on a, an intellectual level. It's something he knows deep within his heart. And the story of the book of Ruth requires that Boaz be a man who not only understands the letter of the law, but understands the heart behind the law. Because before he's even adopted the role of the kinsman redeemer, he's already adopted the actions of the kinsman redeemer. He makes sure that Ruth and Naomi are provided for and provided for well. When she comes back with her hoard of barley grain, hoard of barley grain, uh, her sheaves, her, her you know, stockpile, Naomi is overwhelmed by what she comes back with. It's a massive supply. Where have you been, was her question. Who in the world would provide for a couple of widows like this? Boaz would. Because Boaz knows the story. He knows the situation. And he knows what real righteousness demands. We continue, and this is what we read. And Naomi said to Ruth, her daughter-in-law, It is good, my daughter, that you go out with his young women, lest in another field you be assaulted. So she kept close to the young women of Boaz, gleaning until the end of the barley and wheat harvests, and she lived with her mother-in-law. Now here's the deal. Uh, I was reading through... Ruth, immediately after reading through the book of Judges. I think I mentioned that last week. And it changed the way that I read these continual warnings that happened to Ruth here in the book of Ruth. This, don't go to another field. Stay in my field. Do not leave this field. When Boaz tells his young men to keep an eye on her, to watch over her. See, Without getting too graphic, if you go back and you read the final story in the book of Judges, you find out what happens to women who are left unaccompanied in the land of Israel. And the reason for it, as we mentioned last week, is that the book of Judges ends with this reminder. In those days, there was no king in Israel. Everyone did what was right in his own eyes. A woman is raped and murdered at the end of the book of Judges horribly, brutally mistreated. And it's almost treated like an, not an afterthought, but it's glossed over almost as if that was just the expected behavior of the people of Israel at the time of the writing of the book of Judges. Now there is retribution for what happens to her. All of Israel cries out against the individuals who were responsible for this activity, but it doesn't seem surprising to anyone. See, for Ruth, Israel is not a safe place, except where Boaz is. 
as I read through this book, the thing that struck me so much is this, this continual ongoing tension between the reality of the world in which these people live and the reality of the righteousness of the people that they find themselves in community with. See, the world is a brutal and cruel and terrifying and horrific place. That's what the book of Judges tells us, that even the most righteous of people oftentimes find within themselves a deep-seated brokenness. The only judge that the book of Judges has nothing bad to say about is Deborah. All of the other judges struggle inside of themselves with a deep brokenness. And they are the examples to Israel. And so for Ruth to find a man like Boaz in Israel at the time of Judges, who is willing not only to meet the minimum threshold of righteousness, which is remarkable in and of itself, but to go above and beyond, it must be God's provision. We are supposed to be in awe of Boaz's extreme dedication to righteousness. But more than that, we're supposed to be in awe of how God has provided for one Moabite woman. Ruth chapter 3, verse 1 through 5 tells us, Then Naomi, her mother-in-law, said to her, My daughter, should I not seek rest for you, that I may be well with you? Is not Boaz our relative? with whose young women you were. See, he is winnowing barley tonight at the threshing floor. Wash yourself, therefore, and anoint yourself, and put on your cloak, and go down to the threshing floor. But do not make yourself known to the man until he has finished eating and drinking. But when he lies down, observe the place where he lies, then go and uncover his feet and lie down, and he will tell you what to do. And she replied, all that you say, I will do. We're going to read more next week about how this plays out, but I, I want to leave us in this passage here. See, Naomi immediately knows what's going on here. This man, Boaz, is an exceptional individual. And the greatest hope that Ruth has in her life is to find herself within the household of Boaz. And not only will it be the greatest hope for Ruth, it will be the greatest hope for Naomi as well. And so she gives her instructions, and we read these instructions, and they seem very peculiar to us. You know, go and get yourself completely ready, find him on the threshing floor, so this place where there's like dust and grain and, you know, all the kind of nastiness of working in an agricultural environment, right? Like that just happens. I grew up on a farm. I know what it looks like to find yourself covered in sweat at the end of the day, and you don't particularly feel comfortable. So here she is. She's completely decked out to the nines. She's wearing this beautiful outfit. She's anointed herself with oil. She's wearing perfume. She's washed well. And now she finds herself on a threshing floor with a sweaty, snoring man covered in his, you know, cloak and asleep. And Naomi says, uncover his feet. I don't know about you, but at the end of the day, my feet don't smell so great. Uh, my wife would tell you as much. Um, I have like those charcoal bags that you're supposed to put in your boots and you know, keep them nice and dry and smelling good. They don't work. For, maybe they only don't work for me. I don't know. Um, Boaz is going to find himself in a very precarious position here. And Ruth is finding herself in a very awkward position. These two things that don't really seem to belong together. A woman who is 
washed and perfumed and well-dressed and a man who is a mess, working late into the night at the end of the harvest season. And oftentimes we get hung up on this last bit of instruction. She says, you know, uncover his feet and he'll tell you what to do. We get really confused by it. And, you know, there are people that say it's a euphemism, that uncover his feet is uh, a saying for uncover his genitals. I don't think that's actually what it means. Uh, in fact, as I've been reading through uh, the surrounding documentation of the Book of Ruth and other cultural uh, uh, commentaries that existed at the time, they discuss the idea of vulnerability and the feet. In fact, within the Book of Ruth, we're about to encounter another situation where the uncovered foot is a vulnerable thing. It's, it's being willing to open yourself to vulnerability. It's a willingness to say, I'm helpless in this position. Ruth, though, she comes dressed as a bride prepared for her wedding day. We know that because this is how God describes the people of Israel when he's about to tell them that they've been unfaithful to him as his bride. Washed perfumed, anointed, dressed in their best clothing. Ruth is going to Boaz to say, I am willing to be your bride. And Boaz, who will be completely caught off guard, says, I know what's going on here. I understand. And I have the solution. For us, as Christians today, we might read this and we might wonder, what in the world are we supposed to take as application from this? How in the world does this overlay onto us? Well, I think there are two things that we get from the book of Ruth in these two chapters, and I know we've only made it to verse 5 of chapter 3. We're going to cover the rest next week. Two things that I think we should take away from this. The first is that God calls us to righteousness. He doesn't call us to a specific threshold of righteousness. Now, he gives us some idea of what the bare minimum might be, but his expectation is that we go above and beyond in pursuing righteousness, that the things that we do for others, the ways in which we bless the community that we find ourselves in, the way that we bless those who cannot bless themselves, the way that we take care of those who are downcast and on the out of society matters. He calls us to absolute pursuit of righteousness in this. And if we're going to model ourselves off of anyone in the book of Ruth, let it be Boaz. Let it be the man who says, I know what the law says, but I'm going to go a step further. Even the law is not enough for me in my pursuit of righteousness and justice for her. Let us delight in the righteousness that we experience in others. Be like Boaz. The second is this, our Redeemer found himself in the most vulnerable of positions. At the end of the harvest season that he had come for, unwashed, humiliated, mistreated, beaten, disfigured, 
When we read about the cross, one of the things that I find most interesting is that in the redemptive act that God has played out in, in this moment that is the climax of the story of the life of Christ up until the moment of the resurrection, it is a deeply, deeply humbling situation for Jesus to face. And we are supposed to see his vulnerability as a communication of his willingness to accept our proposal. You see, we come to Jesus sometimes thinking that we're all washed up and cleaned and purified and anointed. And Jesus, I'm here. I'm ready for you to take me. I am ready for you to uh, adopt me into your family. I'm ready for you to be the one who redeems me. And we think that we've done all the work that we need to do when we arrive there. Now, that's flawed thinking, but oftentimes that's the way that we feel. I'm ready for this, Jesus. And we find him there vulnerable, expecting for him to, I don't know what we expect him to do in that moment. But what he does exceeds our expectations. We are called to see Jesus as our redeemer who made himself vulnerable. He exposed his feet for us. We didn't even have to do that part. He made himself vulnerable for us. I don't know where you're at this morning. I don't know if you feel more like Ruth or Boaz or Naomi. I don't know who in this story you relate to most. I don't know how this story speaks to your heart. I don't know what it tells you about God's love for you, his provision for you. But what I know is that this is a message for you today. This is a message for me today. Each time I read through the book of Ruth over the last several months, I find myself realizing just how much I need to hear the story of redemption and righteousness and the provision of God. And it alternates from day to day where I find myself in this story. But I ask you this morning, ask yourself the question, who in this story am I? What story is God telling in my life? How is he using me to bless others? Am I the one that's in need of blessing? Let's pray. Our Father in heaven, we, we come before you and we recognize that we have every reason to see ourselves as vulnerable. We are deeply flawed people like the judges. The righteousness we desire is oftentimes lacking. We fall so short so often. And sometimes we're almost offended by Boaz because of his extreme pursuit of righteousness. How can anyone be this good? And in our best moments, we, we empathize with him and we desire to be like him because we see in him a shadow of a glimmer of who Jesus is. And so, Father, this morning I pray that you make us all redeemers. You make us all people who pursue what is best for the people around us, but not because we think we have something special inside of us, but because our own vulnerabilities have been exposed in the ways that Christ has exposed himself. Help us to see a Savior on the cross who was willing to make himself vulnerable and help us to make ourselves vulnerable so we might be better tools in your hands 
Because, Father, there are stories out there like Ruth's that you are trying to tell. There are people out there who are desperately in need of provision, and your people have it. And it is only when we desire righteousness and are willing to make ourselves vulnerable that we can play a part in that story. I pray for myself that I'd, I would be more open to being vulnerable for the sake of those who need redemption. I pray that for our congregation. I pray for those in this room right now who, who are afraid of being vulnerable because vulnerability is a thing that our world rejects. I pray that you help us all to open ourselves up to those who are in need, to care for those who are on the outsides. It's all this that we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. This morning, if you have need of the church, if you need prayer, if you need someone to walk alongside you and spend some time and counsel with you, if you are in need of baptism, we, we know how that's done. Uh, this week, we had the opportunity to celebrate three of those, and we'd be happy to do it again. If there is any need that you have of the church, I'm going to be at the back of the room. There will be several others back there. We can visit with you for a while, and we can counsel or, or provide direction for you or just sit and pray with you. We're going to stand and sing. Sing together. <clears throat> he leadeth me, O blessed thought, O words, with heavenly comfort fraught. Whate'er I do, where'er I be, still tis God's hand that leadeth me. He By his own hand he leadeth me. His faithful follower I would be, for by his hand he leadeth me. Lord, I would clasp thy hand in mine, nor ever murmur nor repine. Content whatever lot I see, since tis God with me. He By his own hand he leadeth me. His faithful follower I would be, for by his hand he leadeth me. You can be seated. <clears throat> Go ahead and skip to the next one. You have to excuse me. I got my second COVID shot yesterday, and it's uh, it was a rough night, <laughs> but I am happy to be here. <clears throat> Go ahead and skip to the next one. Thanks, Brian. <clears throat> These next two songs will help prepare our, our hearts and our minds for the Lord's Supper. Before the throne of God above, 
I have a strong and perfect plea, a great high priest whose name is love, whoever lives and pleads for me. My name is graven on his hand. My name is written on his heart. I know that while in heaven he stands, no tongue can bid me thence depart. No tongue can bid me thence depart. When Satan tempts me to despair and tells me of the guilt within, upward I <coughs> see him there who made an <coughs> because the sin. <coughs> soul is counted free for God the just is satisfied to look on him and pardon me to look on him and pardon me behold him there the risen lamb my perfect spotless the great unchangeable I am, the King of glory and of grace. <coughs> I cannot die, my soul is purchased by his blood, my life is hidden with Christ on high, with Christ my Savior and my God, with Christ my Savior and my God. <clears throat> Excuse me. <clears throat> How deep the Father's love for us how vast beyond all measure that he should give his only son to make a wretch his treasure. How great the pain of searing loss the Father turns his face away as wounds which mar the chosen one bring many sons to glory. Behold the man upon the cross my sin upon his shoulders. Ashamed I hear my mocking voice call out among the scoffers. It was my sin that held him there. 
until it was accomplished. His dying breath has brought me life. I know that it is finished. I will not boast in anything. No gifts, no power, no wisdom. But I will boast in Jesus Christ, his death and resurrection. Why should I gain from his reward? I cannot give an answer. But this I know with all my heart. His wounds have paid my ransom. But this I know with all my heart. His wounds have Good morning, everyone. It's an exciting day today. We have three new sisters in Christ, which we've uh, already brought up. And Violet, Sonia, and Allie, today is going to be your first day uh, to partake in the Lord's Supper with us. And that's exciting. Uh, I was trying to calculate. I was baptized back in 1993, uh, which means that I've done this over 1,400 times. I wanted to talk to Jerry and find out how many times or when, what age she was when she was baptized, but it's probably over 4,700 times that she's been here on a Sunday and partaken in the Lord's Supper. So today will be the first of many, many Sundays that these young women uh, will share in the partaking of the bread and the fruit of the vine with us, and it is, it's such a special event that we are commanded to do. So now will you please take out the bread and we will pray for it. Our Father in heaven, God, your son, on the night that he was handed over to be killed, took the bread and gave thanks for it and said, do this in remembrance of me. Come fill us now, Lord. Fill us with your body and your blood. Fill us with everything we need to become a body of people energized with your love. Your gifts of service and your mission for us in the world, Father. Please bless this bread as it becomes a part of us and we a part of your son. In his name we pray, amen.
In the same way, after they ate, Jesus took the cup and said, This cup shows the new agreement from God to his people. This new agreement begins with the blood of my death. When you drink this, do it to remember me. Let us pray. Our Father in heaven, God, I pray that Christ live in our hearts because of our faith. I pray our lives will be strong in love and be built on love. And I pray that all of God's holy people will have the power through the Holy Spirit to understand the greatness and depth of Christ's love. As we eat the bread and drink of this cup, we show others about the Lord's death until he comes. Please bless this fruit of the vine. In your son's name we pray. Amen. Separate and apart from the Lord's Supper, I just want to pray for uh, the, the giving, that we have many opportunities to give. There are many ways that we can give, but will you bow with me as uh, we pray for this? Our Father, we come before you now uh, with humble hearts. We know that everything that we have is a gift from you. We pray that you uh, give us the opportunity to serve, uh, that you allow us to use our talents to further your kingdom, Father, and that by giving this morning that it's just one way that we can help others to spread the good news. So bless the offering as we give this morning. In your sins, name we pray. Amen. Let's stand for our last song together. After this song, you can be seated. We'll have a short uh, video announcement about VBS. <clears throat> Just as I am without one plea, but that thy blood was shed for me, and that thou bid me come to thee. God, I come, I come, just as I am, and waiting not to rid my soul of one dark blood to thee, whose blood can cleanse each spot, O Lamb, I come, I come, I come broken to be mended, I come wounded to be healed, I come desperate to be rescued, I come empty to be filled, I come guilty to be pardoned, 
by the blood of Christ the Lamb, and I'm welcomed with open arms. Praise God, just as I am, just as I am, I would be lost. But mercy and grace, my freedom bought, and now to glory in your cross, O Lamb I come, I come, I come broken. I come to be healed. I come desperate to be rescued. I come empty to be filled. I come guilty to be pardoned by the blood of Christ the Lamb. And I'm welcome with open Praise God, just as I am. I come broken to be mended. I come wounded to be healed. I come desperate to be rescued. I come empty to be filled. I come guilty to be pardoned by the blood of Christ the Lamb. And I'm welcome with open arms, praise God, just as I am. Praise God, just as I am. Amen. You can be seated. There's going to be a short video announcement uh, about our upcoming VDBS, and then I'll just have a brief word to say before my dad gets up here to close us out. didn't pick up on it. Our theme for VBS is treasured. Uh, we've got VBS coming up in July this year, and we're going to need a lot of help to pull that off. We're really excited about being able to, to do it in person this year. Last year we did 
uh, kind of a virtual VBS. And today we're having um, a special meeting to talk about uh, just some different jobs that you can do, especially if you're interested or if you're already coming and you need more information. Uh, after worship today, there's going to be a, a preview meeting with Norma, I believe, Norma in the fellowship hall. Yeah, she's giving me the nod, so. Up in the fellowship hall, and if you could uh, try not to delay too long, that would be great. Again, this is just a really great opportunity to serve uh, the kids in our community, and uh, it's something that I know that they've, they've missed. Uh, a lot of opportunities like this over the past year and a half. So if you can come and be a part of that, and if maybe you've been waiting to sign up, now is the time. This is the altar call, as we would say. Uh, please let Norman know. Uh, come to the meeting uh, for, uh, for a little while after worship, and that would be really helpful to her. Again, up in the fellowship hall. Thanks. I have just a couple of announcements to make. Um, I received a thank you card from uh, Jackie Taylor, who is here today. Remember, we prayed about for Jackie uh, last week, and here she is back with us again today. She wants to thank everybody for their prayers. She is 90% better. So we're glad that you're here, Jackie, and we're glad that you are feeling better. Um, I also have an announcement. Uh, Wayne and Lori Oss are the proud uh, grandparents of a new granddaughter, Cecilia Eileen. Uh, Brooke and Shane uh, are, Brooke and Shane are the parents. I don't want to get confused that Wayne and Lori had a baby. Uh, so we are happy for Brooke and Shane and uh, we're also very happy for Wayne and Lori. So we just want to uh, continue to pray for them and their family. Uh, I think that's all the announcements for today. So let's stand together and we'll close with a word of prayer. Our Heavenly Father, it has been a good day to be here, an uplifting day uh, with the addition of three new sisters uh, into your kingdom, uh, the announcements of a new birth, and for the answer to prayer, Father. We know how awesome and mighty you are and powerful you are and the ability to answer our prayers, and we are thankful for that. Go with us this week, Father. Help us to be a shining light uh, to the people we come in contact with. Help them to see a difference in us as we go about our Christian lives. And these things we ask in your son's name. Amen. You are dismissed.